Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. The first 11 verses of Acts is what we're going to be examining together today. So take a, take a moment and get your Bibles out. And as we are looking through the Scriptures, you do the same. And uh, we'll study and hopefully you're taking notes and having things you can go back and remember and process through the week and share with other people. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up after he had given commandments through the, or commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were still gazing into the heavens, and as He went, behold, two men stood by them, white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven?" This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, In these 11 verses, all but one of them refer to Jesus or reference Jesus in some way. The only verse that doesn't reference Jesus is actually Jesus talking, referencing the Holy Spirit. Jesus is actually referenced here 19 times in just these 11 verses. And one of the things that it tells me is as, a, as an absolute rule, uh, Jesus, you cannot have Christianity without Christ. Now, I know that that seems like a very obvious statement, but many people try to do that. Christianity, though, is not about uh, the morality of Jesus. It's not about His example. It's not about even His love. It's not about simply His teaching. Christianity is not only about what Jesus taught. It's also about what Jesus did as well. But it is completely about Him. I've ran into people who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God and yet still call themselves Christians. I know many Christians who do not put Jesus Christ first in their life and yet call themselves Christians. We've even come up with terms like uh, uh, moderate Christians or, uh, you know, weak Christians or uh, many, many other terms to associate like there's degrees of Christianity. But what we get from the very foundation of the beginning of the church, of the church age, is that the Christianity and the church is all about Jesus. It's not about Jesus finding a way for us and it's following that way. It's not about Jesus finding His truth and us following that truth. It truly is about Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. 
and put those two things together, when Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth, then Jesus is the way that leads to life. He is life. And that makes Him uniquely qualified to redeem us back to the Father. So here's how the book of Acts begins. And it actually, the full title of this is the Acts of the Apostles or the Actions of the Apostles. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when He was taken up. After He had given commands through the Holy Spirit, Jesus presented Himself by many proofs, presented Himself alive to them after His suffering appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about, get this, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. Of all the things that Jesus could be teaching them, all the things that He has seen during His death and His resurrection, all of the experiences that has now come to fruition, giving Him the opportunity and the platform to be able to teach them things He had not taught them yet, All the things that could have capstoned His teaching after the resurrection. What is He teaching them? The kingdom of God. And He's already taught them the kingdom of God. Remember when He used to tell all of the parables and He would start out by saying, the kingdom of God is like. But after the resurrection, they should have a better understanding of what Jesus was talking about and they can uh, hopefully much better apply it. Now notice that Jesus is not giving them detailed directions for their, for their future. He isn't giving them formulas. He isn't giving them algorithms. He's not giving them if this happens, then this happens. He isn't guiding them through programs. He is teaching them the kingdom of God. He is laying the foundation and it's the only foundation that will matter. You see, once you understand what it is supposed to look like, then you can begin to guide people to it. God's kingdom isn't some place that is coming. God's kingdom is now. And that's evidenced by the new resurrection of Jesus Christ. His kingdom is now. His kingdom is here. We need to stop waiting for that kingdom. And that's pretty much what he's telling the disciples right now is to stop waiting for something to happen and to step into the kingdom now. Now, the kingdom of God, many people keep waiting for the kingdom to come and to manifest, and meaning that we're waiting for heaven. And so we're waiting for death or we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ to experience Him. But the truth of the matter is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two completely different doctrines. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that is coming and it will locate itself where the people of God are and Jesus Christ will rule and reign that kingdom for all eternity. But now there is a kingdom of God where Jesus asks us to pray for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is the kingdom of this world, but there is also the kingdom of God. And so Jesus took these 40 days while He is proving to them that He truly is resurrected. And what does He teach? He teaches them how to live in God's kingdom in this world. And that's where the empowerment comes from. And every generation that continues to live that is waiting for the second coming or for death to be able to experience the kingdom of heaven, while we wait for that, we are currently able to experience the kingdom of God. But we are all coming from different backgrounds 
different, uh, different pasts, uh, different questions, different baggage. We are all coming from different... So if Jesus were to say, here's the plan, here's the formula, here's the conversation, when they say this, you say this, you need to be doing this, and, and cultivating or creating some sort of a program that everyone fits... Uh, this would have been a colossal mistake because everyone's not at the same place. But if you teach the kingdom of God and you begin to live in the kingdom of God, you begin to, to, to walk as Jesus walked and loved the way Jesus loved, and you experience the fullness of Jesus Christ, you will experience that kingdom of God. And other people in this world will be watching you, and they will begin to follow the kingdom of God as well. Listen, one of the things that Jesus is doing here is He is handing His mission off to those who would walk in the kingdom of God. He is handing His mission, the one that He was given by God as God has sent Him, so sends He us. You cannot fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. You cannot fulfill the bringing about of the kingdom of God in this world without a guide. Because of our flesh, we are incapacitated without the God who will show us how to walk in the kingdom of God. This is a very special moment for them. This is the reason why Jesus says that they need to remain in Jerusalem. And I, you know, I'm, I'm reading through some lines here, but it's not so that the Holy Spirit will know where to find them. Jesus isn't making an appointment so that He'll know where they are when the Holy Spirit comes. What Jesus is trying to do is to keep them close before they develop bad habits or before they feel like they are empowered to do God's work without the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. You stay right here until you have the guide because you are desperate for the guide. I know that you are on an emotional high right now and I know that you think you can do it, but you need to wait right here until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to verse 1. The writer of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke and Paul were really good friends. And Luke took many missionary trips with Paul. Uh, and we also know that Luke was a highly educated doctor. And, and by the way, the way Paul ministered to people in the places that he ministered, uh, he often needed uh, his own doctor. So when Luke talks about this first book that he wrote to the Theophilus, when he references that in verse 1, he's talking about the gospel of Luke. And here he says that he wrote the gospel of Luke to record all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So that's it. The things that, that from the beginning, and he is high, uh, uh, Luke is highly involved in writing about the birth of Jesus and the uh, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke talks a lot about the beginning of the things that Jesus does and teaches, and he puts those things together. In fact, we talk about the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus is what Luke was working to, to put together. Now, John Calvin actually called this the holy knot. It's where two things come together and get cinched together. Jesus' works and Jesus' words. Now, you remember when Jesus was uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, it says that there were many Pharisees that were watching and they began to murmur to one another about watching the things that Jesus was doing. They recognized that the doing was going to get them in big trouble. But by the time they arrest Jesus and they take him to the high priest Caiaphas or to, to, to Caiaphas's office, when they get him there, if you remember what Caiaphas said in 
chapter 18, verse 19, he says, Tell me all the things I've been hearing about what you are teaching. And tell me about what you're teaching. And Jesus said, Ask somebody who's heard me teach. Uh, you know, and, and so here we have the Pharisees that are accusing him of his actions, and we have Caiaphas that's accusing him of his teaching, his words and his works. Now, some people really like the works of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you evaluate Jesus, you evaluate him by what he does. See, there's Jesus. He's feeding the hungry. There's Jesus. He's giving sight to the blind. There's Jesus. He's raising up lame people. There's Jesus. He's touching lepers that no one else wants to touch. Oh, there's Jesus who's giving everything away. Oh, there's Jesus who's playing with the children and loving the children. And we love that. We love that Jesus. And and so we try to model after that. We love modeling benevolence and we love modeling the actions of Jesus, the giving, the serving, the feeding, being benevolent, being humanitarians. But Here's something that's true. Sometimes uh, it's it's well, it's always right to do the right thing, but sometimes we can do the right thing and not have the proper motivations. Uh, sometimes we do the right thing because it makes us feel good. It's still the right thing, but we do it because it makes us feel good or it gives us a good reputation in our communities. So the world has even found this out. That's why benevolence is uh, is on the rise and lots of people looking to be humanitarians. It doesn't necessarily mean they're Christian, but they're doing the work of Christ. But we love the works of Jesus, but we discount the words of Jesus. So you have a lot of people who do a lot of great things, but when you start talking about some of the teachings of Jesus, there starts to be a lot of tension. You know, when you are obedient to the teachings of Jesus... And that manifests as the works of Jesus. This is where God gets the credit. The the Father gets glorified. And so when we just go around doing good things and we receive the credit, well, there's very little long-term good that's done for the kingdom. Some people really like the words of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, I am the Savior, I am the Creator, I am the Judge of the living and the dead, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've already talked about that. No one comes to the Father but my me. We love to hear Jesus teach. We love hearing about grace to the sinner. We love hearing about peace to the anxious. We love hearing about joy to the sorrowful. We love to hear forgiveness and mercy and love and hope. Some love hearing about the judgment that's going to come to unrepentant sinners. And we're grateful not to have to worry about that. We like to shake our finger at people who disagree with us concerning the words of Jesus. But we love learning truths and fresh concepts about Jesus. But words don't always necessarily promote action in our life. We listen to Jesus teach, but we don't necessarily apply it to our life. So we have these huge Jesus brains In fact, we have forgotten more teaching that we've learned about Jesus than we've ever applied. And when that is true, there is very little long-term good done for the kingdom. No one can properly see the kingdom of God by good works alone. No one can properly see the kingdom of God just by hearing words alone. But when you put the teach and the do together... It is an explosion, an explosion that turns the world upside down. That's what Luke is trying to get across to the first century, and the Holy Spirit preserved it for the 21st century. You think about 
uh, telling Theophilus, we don't know much about Theophilus, and I'm not going to talk about him much, but he said that, that Jesus began to do and teach. So, so you have part one was the Gospel of Luke. Part two is the Acts of the Apostles. So when you think about the, the began to work and do all the way up to his uh, ascension, and so uh, from his birth to his ascension. Now I'm sure that Theophilus would be looking at this very first verse of Acts chapter 1 and say, wait a minute, when, when part 1 ended, Jesus, I thought Jesus was back in heaven now. He had ascended back to heaven. And how could there be a part 2? I thought Jesus' work on earth was finished. And what Luke is about to say is, oh, no, no, no. Jesus ascending to heaven only started His work on earth. And so that's what we're going to be looking at now for the next couple of weeks. Luke continues his gospel into the book of Acts. You can read it as a seamless book, but uh, it really is a, a, the gospel and then the sequel. It's the continuation. It's the showing and the implications. In the Gospel of Luke, we can see the power and the majesty of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we can see what that power looks like in mere men. So he begins by telling us about Jesus' life in his Gospel, and then he transitions to telling us about Jesus' resurrection power inside of his followers. Now, Jesus was incredible while He walked on the earth, and He's incredible now. But now He has placed that power in us to continue that work. Look at verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, we find that promise actually in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. It says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the promise. Which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, when you get down to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he is very, very clear. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, Jesus' life and His power and His teachings are not just to be admired. They are to be experienced. We do not just have to read about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's not meant to inspire us. He came to empower us. He didn't just come to give us stories. He came to invite us into that story and to be a part of that story. A non-Christian can look at Jesus' life and Jesus' power and admire Him. But only a Christian can look at Jesus' life and power and experience it. How many of you have looked at Jesus' life and thought, Boy, that's an amazing life. He had no sin. He said yes to God. He never took advantage of anyone. He never stole anything. He was never inappropriate. He was always generous. He always told the truth. He suffered nobly. You look at Jesus and say, boy, I wish I could be more like Him. I admire Him. That's not why Jesus came. Listen to this and write this down in your notes. He came to give His life for you so that He could put His life in you. I think so many Christians miss this. We look at Acts chapter 1 as uh, some sort of uh, how to evangelize 
passage of Scripture, that He gives us some kind of a commission to go around and ask people if they prefer heaven or hell. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing is He is letting the disciples know that you cannot fulfill my purpose for you on your own. And so I'm going to go away, and it is good for me to go away because when I do, I'm going to send one who will inhabit you and empower you to do the works that I have done. Jesus does not want you to admire His life. He wants you to experience His life and to give that life away, to replicate that life and to make disciples. And the giving of the Holy Spirit is the only way for that to happen. So after Jesus rises from the dead, everybody's excited. What do we do? What do we do? What are we going to do now? They were so pumped and jazzed. They were ready to get going. But Jesus was like, wait, you're not ready. You cannot do this mission in the flesh. You're great, guys. You've learned a lot. You've seen me do a lot. But you're going to have to be empowered by something much greater than your good intentions. You remember only a little while ago, 40 days ago, their good intention said they would die with Jesus on the very night that they ran in the garden. So Jesus knows our good intentions, our best days, uh, are not good enough to help us fulfill His mission. So He is ready. We are ready to receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus came and experienced resurrection, but we need our own resurrection too. We need our spirits resurrected so that we can contain and hold on to and walk in and live in the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we have no vessel. We have no way to carry God's mission So God Himself has given us Jesus who experienced our life and paid the price for us so that we can have a relationship with the Father. And He experienced resurrection power. And He came and now He puts resurrection power inside of us now that our spirits are alive. Jesus said, you will need me in you, not just me walking with you. So the only way to experience Jesus' power is to have it in you, and it comes only by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to truly understand the Holy Spirit, you cannot start in the book of Acts. That seems to be where the Holy Spirit gets His debut, but Jesus has actually debuted Him much, much earlier. Remember what He said to Theophilus, don't forget my first book. So, Jesus tells us in Acts chapter 1, you will receive what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist, and he discovered a very, very powerful substance. In fact, uh, he had to name it. Uh, He knew that it was going to be marketed and it needed a name. And so he named it after the Greek word for power, which is the word dunamis. He called it dynamite. Our word dynamite comes from the word that describes what the Holy Spirit gives us. Can you imagine that? I mean, I want you to look at your life in the Spirit and compare that to dynamite. We need to recognize that many of us have never truly experienced the fullness of the Spirit. When dynamite explodes, nobody says, was that dynamite? When dynamite explodes, you know it. There is no doubt about it. When the Holy Spirit moves, boom, you know it. You don't have to ask, did that dynamite go off yet? I just couldn't tell. 
No, you know it. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, you know it. There is power. Things happen. Things change. Things don't go back to normal. The Christian life is about that kind of power, that kind of supernatural, God-given power. In fact, early Christianity was identified by that kind of power. But you need to be careful with this kind of power because we can misuse it. We can misunderstand it. We can actually even use it for our own good instead of the kingdom of God. But so Jesus shows us how to use the power of the Holy Spirit. So we go back to Luke's gospel and we say, uh, now, this is also very important. When we think about the gift, and we've been talking about what kind of gift it is, the power that we will receive from it, but the power is not the gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The power is the proof. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the gift is the Holy Spirit. It's this empowerment that we can now live continue the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ and restore His kingdom back to Himself. Now, this is incredible. Power is not the gift. The gift is the Spirit. The sign is power. He doesn't give us power. He gives us Himself. And as a result, we have power. So, this, what's this mean? I think the implications of this is it means that there is never a deficit supply Never a deficit supply because the Spirit Himself is power. And so if I have the Spirit, the Spirit does not come and go in me. I always have that capacity. There is never a deficit supply. You will never, as a Christian, try to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and not have available to you the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit to perform the works of Jesus. So Luke believe it or not, his gospel explains in the richest detail of all the gospels the relationship between the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. But the key is you cannot understand the power of the Spirit apart from the life of Jesus. So a lot of people make this colossal mistake and you try to understand the Holy Spirit in our modern context and there's, there's no way to figure that out. The only way to truly understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to watch the relationship of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. So Luke tells us that Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus did, He lived by the power of the Spirit. That's why He said, don't go into ministry just yet. You're not ready for it. You need a special kind of empowerment the kind that I had, the kind that I lived in. The Holy Spirit's coming to you because, you know, I want you to function in the same power that I function in. That's why, you know, the gospel and the acts go together so well. Jesus, Luke tells us, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit showed up in the form of a dove. And in fact, you have the whole Trinity there. And this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This second member of the the Trinity, Jesus, coming up out of the water, and it's the Holy Spirit that is uh, showing publicly the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that He's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that He's filled by the Holy Spirit, He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that his whole life is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus' baptism needed to be so public so everyone could see what it looked like. 
The book of Luke goes on to say that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you've no doubt heard people say you should live a Spirit-filled life. And we say, well, I mean, what does that even mean? What is a Spirit-filled life? There's only one definition. Look at the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke also says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Repeatedly in the Gospel of Luke, it says that He came in the power of the Spirit. How did He teach? In the power of the Spirit. How did He cast out demons? In the power of the Spirit. I mean, how how did He give sight to the blind? In the power of the Spirit. Luke says that He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. When He had joy, when He celebrated, it was because the joy of the Lord was His strength. It was the Holy Spirit in Him that rejoiced, that caused Him to glorify, to worship, to enjoy, to adore, to thank, to bless God the Father. The Bible uh, over and over says, Luke says, that the hand of the Lord was upon Jesus. That's language for the Holy Spirit. It's a metaphor. God the Father in heaven, God the Son's on earth, and God the, the Father puts His hand on God the Son and says He's the one. And the Holy Spirit was a proof of that. Everywhere Jesus went, the hand of the Father was upon Jesus. This is Jesus walking in the Spirit. It's pretty much what being the Messiah or the Christ means, is to be the anointed, appointed one from God. Jesus indicates this very well for us. He is the sent one. Early on in Jesus' ministry, He goes into the synagogue and He opens up the book of Isaiah and He turns to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 and He reads it and this is how it starts. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news and to set captives free. And then He closed up the Bible or the scroll and He said, Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here there He is saying, manifesting clearly that the Spirit of God is already upon Him. Uh, now, if you, Jesus is saying to them, to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, if you follow me, if you trust me, if you obey me, you can have the Holy Spirit too. Jesus was led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, suffered by the power of the Spirit, preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit. He loved in the power of the Spirit. He engaged in spiritual conflicts with the demonic realm by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He trained leaders by the power of the Holy Spirit. He honored and obeyed his parents, his mother and his father, when he was a little boy in the power of the Spirit. He taught with authority by the power of the Spirit. So hear this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit will not get you around suffering, but He will get you through suffering. That's the case with Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So Jesus was raised from death by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it goes on to say, and that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives where? The same power that raised Christ from the dead resides now where? In you. So then we don't have to simply admire Jesus. We get to experience Jesus And so wherever you are in Christianity, wherever your yes has brought you to today, I want you to know this. There's more. You can move from having an appreciation and an admiration of Jesus. You can move from simply just walking behind Him and walking to the walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. As we read 
of this in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I'm not going to read all of it again, but it says, So when they had come together, that's all the believers. And in just a few chapters, we'll find out that's about 120 people. And they asked him, Jesus started talking, teaching them the kingdom of God. And they said, Lord, will at this time you restore your kingdom to Israel? They still had a misunderstanding of the kingdom of, of God. But how could they understand it? They haven't been empowered by the Holy Spirit yet. How could they understand the kingdom of God? They weren't walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christians, if you're trying to live and to welcome uh, the kingdom of God in this world, if you're trying to have spiritual conversations with people, but you're not, you're not walking in the Spirit, it's going to be really hard. How can we know about the kingdom of God unless we have the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit? So Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. In other words, what difference does that make? That, should, that won't make any difference in your ministries. Your job is to reveal the kingdom of God. It's to replicate yourself as walk of people who are walking in the kingdom of God. But you will receive what? Power. There it is again. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And there's our mission. To be witnesses of the kingdom of God. To be witnesses of the very character of Jesus Himself. It's the mission of Jesus. Receive power of the Holy Spirit and live in that power and the living that out day by day by day will result in being witnesses. Being witnesses isn't about having a gospel conversation with everyone. It's about walking in this world the way Jesus walked in this world, filled with the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. Now it's interesting, and I'm I'm almost done, but... I want you to follow this all the way through. When Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, this is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word, lambano. Now, when I say receive, typically what people think of is being given a gift and they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. But what this word actually means is to reach out and take hold of, to grasp, right? So Jesus is giving them a very, very simple command. The Holy Spirit is about to come upon you in a very similar way. And we think of this as being a, a very passive thing for us. Like, like we're going to be sitting and when I say yes to Jesus, I'm going to be empowered by the Spirit. He's going to do some kind of crazy supernatural work on me. That is not at all the description that Jesus gives us here. What Jesus is saying is, you ever hear, hear somebody say that you came upon something? You know, you, you, you saw a wreck. Well, I came upon a wreck. Uh, you know, it's something that you witnessed, something that you came alongside. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter. The word comforter means paraclete. It means someone who will come alongside of you, talking about the Holy Spirit. In a very similar way, when he says that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit's going to come beside you. When the Holy Spirit is available to you, you need to grasp it. You need to grasp Him. You need to lay hold of Him. Receive Him and you will be my witnesses. So it is a very active part that we play in this. Just because you accept Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're going to walk around supernaturally all the time and have many manifestations of gifts and signs and wonders. But the Holy Spirit is always available to those who trust in Jesus Christ, who believe and trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so He offers, now that our 
receptacle is available. The Spirit is now alive. He offers Himself to us to empower us. But that walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, that's going to be up to us. He's not going to do that upon us. He makes Himself available to us every step of the way. So we have a relationship with Jesus and experience Jesus only through receiving the Holy Spirit and being empowered to live Jesus' mission. But look at this, not just for me. This benefit isn't just for me. He goes on to say, it's also for your community. It's got to flow through you. I'm giving you the Spirit. You need to show others how they can have it as well. And not just my community, but my region and ultimately the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, multiplies itself over and over. We can't just keep it to ourselves. So we are to still be carrying out the mission of Jesus under His authority. And by the power of the Spirit, we must, must make every decision. His kingdom will always continue to expand. And what He also tells us is that His kingdom is for everyone but it's up to us to be His witnesses. It's up to us to show them who Jesus is. The mission is constant, and that means the power that's needed for the mission is just as constant. In Matthew, Jesus said, As you are going, make disciples. So as you are going, you're going to need a steady stream of empowerment by the Spirit. Here's the good news. He is already in you. He is already in you. I want us to pray and I want us just to ask the Lord to teach us what He would have us to know, to cause us to surrender whatever it is that's getting in our way of laying hold of the Holy Spirit. And we have no authority here. This is a gift that God gives to us. But we have to take the gift and to walk in that empowerment. We, we, I don't know when we're going to be released to normal, uh, you know, it, uh, who knows? I'm not even going to speculate on that. But what I am going to say is this. It's very important for us to hear. When we get to have opportunities, and I believe that God's gospel, His, the kingdom of God continues to expand, we have opportunities right now to express that. We need to be ready. But you can't fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ unless you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. As you go, you will receive the power. So what do you need in order to be empowered by the Spirit? Well, you need to be willing to experience Jesus. You need to listen to His words and His works. You need to obey His words so that that will lead you to actions, to witness of the life of Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean exclusively being overly aggressive to get people to be saved, but it does mean that we are walking witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit and helping people find and follow Jesus. If you want to have a conversation about what your next step looks like, maybe you're already a Christian and you, you want to continue this conversation, let me know and we'll continue it. But maybe you're watching today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. You're interested. You might even admire His teaching and His action, but you're not walking with Jesus. You've not trusted Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, just to go ahead and, and message me and I'll continue that conversation with you and I'll show you how you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Church, I love you. I cannot wait until we're together again. When we get together, all of us are able to be together again. That's going to be such a wonderful day. I cannot wait. While I'm preaching, I'm actually looking at your faces in the crowd. And uh, so just know while we're away, I'm praying for you. I love you. If you need anything from, from me or any of our staff, just let me know and we'll make sure that uh, we try to meet your needs as best we can. We love you and I hope you experience the peace of God. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.